nearly the beginnings of Christian history, the Lord's Prayer has often been divided into two parts, uh, recognizing that the first three petitions all begin with the word your, that is to say, uh, your name be hallowed, your kingdom come, your will be done. And then the second four petitions are all focused on the so-called our petitions, that is, give us this day our daily bread, forgive our trespasses, and so forth. Luther recognizes this too. In his explanations to the first three petitions, in the small catechism, he not only has the question, what does this mean? He also has the question, how is this done? Which is unique in the small catechism. But as we looked or considered this in our last session, we noted that already Luther opens his explanations of the catechism by recognizing that uh, we pray that these things happen to us even though God does them already without our prayer. This seems a little odd, Bob, if I may be frank. Well, indeed, it does seem a little bit strange. Uh, It makes us wonder if prayer is really worthwhile. Um, Luther says... um, The name of God's holy in itself. doesn't need our prayers to become holy. So why do we pray then? Well, I think the entire Lord's Prayer is uh, praying ourselves into the midst of uh, God's presence, into the midst of God's uh, action in this world. And so when we pray, Thy kingdom come, even though we know that God's going to be extending His rule into our lives and into the lives of everyone else, whether we like it or not, whether we even notice, realize it or not, nonetheless, we are praying your kingdom come so that we may be a participant, uh, so to speak, in God's action. Well, looking at the first three petitions, the first one begins with the name of God. Um, What's the big deal about the name Well, John, I think that, what are you laughing at? John? Oh, that wasn't a mistake. You were actually, you actually intended that. You fall for this every time. I mean, even though Chuck has fallen for this every time in the the many years we've known each other, he immediately was a little sensitive about his identity. And that's the way we all are. We want to be known by who we are. And God wants to be known not as just that power over the hill. God doesn't want to be known as uh, the person or the thing, the power, the force, whatever. He wants to be known as our Father. He wants to be known as the one who has revealed himself in Jesus of Nazareth. He wants to be known by his name. He wants us to identify him as our God and to identify ourselves as his children, as the introduction to the Lord's Prayer reminds us. He wants us to know that he is our God. Well, how do we know about God? Uh, We can know each other by observing, by looking each other over, checking each other out. Uh, But it really helps a whole lot if I want to get to know you, to begin talking to you, to listen carefully to you, to listen to what you're saying about yourself so that I don't put you into one of my boxes. 
And so Luther says, if we really want to make the name of God holy, we teach the word of God clearly and purely. We listen to our God. We let our God know in our prayer that we know who he is. And then we tune in to him again as we study the scripture, as we talk with one another in his church, as we listen to his word being preached and and shared with us in conversation so that we really know who God is. Well, Luther also says that the word of God is made, the name of God is made holy among us when we live holy lives according to it. There it's a matter of God's identity as the father of family. Uh, there are times when uh, parents say about their children, hmm, I wonder who's, who, who he belongs to. wonder who she is. There are times when God's got to be ashamed of us as he sends his children, as he sends us out to play in his world. And so we hallow the name of God when the God who is associated with us, the God whom we claim as our father, gets good marks in the, in the eyes of other people because they see what trusting in him, having him as father, really means for our daily lives. Now, we move from name to kingdom in the petitions. We live in a democracy. Uh, We got rid of the last king over 200 years ago. About the only place I run across the language of kingdom is really perhaps in comic strips, like Prince Valiant, um, or maybe the occasional TV show. Uh, So this petition seems very foreign Uh, to modern American ears? It really is, uh, because we have the idea that uh, each one of us is equal, at least equal before the law, and with equal rights and responsibilities uh, as citizens of this country. And in a sense, I think that's a very good insight for talking about life in in the horizontal relationships of, of this created world. Uh, Sometimes I think, as a historian, that kings work better than democracies, and there may come a time in American history when when more and more people wonder about whether democracy really works. But my own conviction as as an American, uh, as a historian, is that the more you disperse power, the more you spread power among us fallible human beings, uh, the better off we are. But when we're talking about our creator when we're talking about the one who shaped us, who designed us, who gave us the specifications for human life, then there's really not much sense to saying all persons, including the divine person, is created equal. Almost by definition, I think, we define the creator not only as one who is almighty, we know him as a father, but in the Old Testament he was more often defined as a king, as a ruler. Now, I think it's important when we think about the biblical concept of what it means to be a king that we recognize that kings were supposed to be, even as in medieval Europe, fathers of their people, fathers of their nation. We may not read much fatherliness in the biographies of a lot of kings. Sinful nature means that we're all trying to get power, and as Lord Acton, the 19th century Roman Catholic uh, historian, wrote, uh, power corrupts and 
absolute power corrupts absolutely. So we've got a bad picture of kings, and that was the American experience too. Uh, but as a matter of fact, as we've been stressing throughout our discussions, the word Lord, the word king, in biblical terms, meant one who was, who was by his very nature supposed to be protecting us, uh, providing for us, taking care of us, uh, indeed a loving father in the best sense of the term. So that's the king whose rule we pray for. Yeah, in some ways, I think Luther captures senses that, that the noun kingdom is really a kind of cover for the verb to rule. We are praying in this petition, God, please come and rule us. And again, according to Luther, rule us through your word so that we may understand who you are, going back to the first petition, so that we may understand what you're doing in our lives in the second petition, that is, ruling as, as our benevolent Father, so that that rule may be extended through our performance as the will of God is done um, over our lives, but also under our lives, and then in and through our lives. Well, in that sense, then, the way you just described kingdom really in some ways brings us back to the second article where we confessed that I may be his own and live under him in his kingdom in everlasting innocence, righteousness, and blessedness. Mm -hmm. So thus far we have prayed for... Uh, just a minute. Actually, Chuck, as you explained, Luther's insistence that he is Lord because he has engaged Satan, because he has defeated the world in our flesh, because he has conquered all our enemies and reestablished us as children of the Heavenly Father. Uh, that's what it means to be his own, to live under him in his kingdom, to serve him. Now, thus far we have prayed for God's name. We've prayed that his kingdom comes. What can be left over then when it comes to saying, your will be done? I suppose that in one sense, his will is being done in our hallowing of his name, in our appreciating and living under his rule. But I think the, the third petition then gives us a little push as people who are, who are members of God's family and representatives of, of his name and his rule to <clears throat> move into our world and to, uh, to address the many problems that Satan's attempt to rule in our world uh, has, has brought into our, our lives. And so it's interesting that Luther again says, eh, God's good and gracious will is going to be done without our prayer. We want it to come about in and among us. Well, how's that going to happen, Luther asks. And there, as you stressed in our last discussion, the battle cry rings forth. When God breaks and hinders every evil scheme and will. They are present in, in, in the devil, the world, and our flesh. Terms that, at least since the, the church father Cyprian in the third century, the church had used to kind of sum up what goes wrong and what causes things to go wrong in our lives. So against the devil, the world, and our flesh, we are praying that God will, will break and hinder, will, will bring to naught uh, all the plans that uh, try to unravel our lives as God's creatures, try to, to, um, to take away our identity as his children and, and bring us under Satan's uh, rule once again. And so 
we pray against all that, and we are praying for God's strength, God's keeping us steadfast in his word, God keeping us in the true faith. So it's this mystery of how the almighty creator and the creature created in his image uh, exercise and we might say share responsibility in this world. I, I think many Christians tried to sort out that question of how responsible is God for this, how responsible am I for this, by coming up with some percentage for God and some percentage for us. And Luther and Melanchthon, the, the, the reformers in Wittenberg, held the two in tension. They insisted that God's totally responsible for everything, but they also insisted that we are totally responsible for what God has placed uh, in our lives for us to do. And so we're praying that in the conflict between the devil's will, his lies, his attempt to murder us and take our lives away, and God's truth, God's insistence as the Lord of life that we are going to be his living children. In that tension, in that conflict, we're going to God again for help and for asking uh, that he use us as his instruments against the evil schemes and the evil plans of the devil in our own lives and in the lives of others. We are asking him to make us his instruments again this day, and we are also asking that, that in the face of our own temptations, our faith will be strengthened, our attention will be fastened on his name, our wills will be subject to his will and his rule, the coming of his kingdom. One of the important points you made on the break and hinder, I think it's worth noting, is um, I've always had the sense, and I think my, our friend Jim Nesnian put me onto this, that break and hinder, we're not asking for final deliverance yet. That's coming up in the 6th huh? and 7th petition. Yes. But in a sense, we're asking that as we're besieged by saying that they not get the best of us. Sustenance on the battlefield, so to speak. That's a very good way of putting it. Well, thus far we've looked at the first so-called thy petitions, uh, where we first pray for God's name, God's kingdom, and God's will. In a sense, we pray for, pray for eternal benefits. And now we will then turn in our next session to the our petitions, where in a sense we are praying in the meantime as we await our final deliverance here is what we need for this life on earth.